we can kind of just jump into it. Um, obviously, we had the election as we're recording this, or as we're yeah. chatting today, eight days ago. It's surprising. I'm actually talking with a lot of people that are still, you know, I'll say, you know, the election now behind us. They're like, no, it's not. Uh, mm -hmm. What are you talking about? So there's still a lot of, you know, let's presume, let's kind of take the presumptive approach that Biden will be our next president. I, I get it that some people, you know, one in particular doesn't accept that yet, uh, but I think that's where we're headed. Let's just kind of assume that. Mm -hmm. Where do you, I mean, what's your advice to, I mean, you're kind of my go-to guy when it comes to taxation and, you know, things like that. Where do you, where, what are you advising clients now? Let's again, you know, you're kind of a, we don't know the, we don't know the Senate yet. That, that is up in the air. I think it's kind of leaning towards Republican, but it's kind of up in the air. So what are you, what are you thinking right now? So there's, for a lot of things, the extent that it's possible, I tell people, take a step back. Yeah. Uh, don't do anything rash. Uh, I find I like you, human nature is to kind of want to get impatient and take action. Uh, and there are certain things that you can't kick down the road. But things that you can, uh, may as well wait. I just got off the phone this morning, um, had a conversation with a couple things like that. Uh, we spoke about... And I like looking at the broader picture, not just tax, not just real estate, broader financial consulting. So some of the things we spoke about are, for example, somebody on their estate planning side. Um, and they were planning for the question is, do you do 1031? Do you do, are you looking at a step up in basis? Uh, how are things, those things, things um, going to play out? And so the discussion uh, that we had, and I'll, you know, I'll give you the detail uh, for this one. It's, it's an interesting one because it's not, we're not talking about a property that was an investment property to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is somebody that has a, began as a personal residence and it has appreciated incredibly um, over the time that they've been there. They've been there for a couple of decades and it's been in one of these areas where the appreciation, I mean, today the house is worth 30 times what they paid for it. And they, they uh, actually reside in it? So it's yes. not an investment property? Exactly. Okay. Now, that is not 1031 eligible, obviously, under the current status. Well, they could rent uh, it out. I guess they could move out and rent it out, turn it into a rental property and wait a period of time and then... Yeah. And, and that's something that I would actually kind of be comfortable with. Uh, but they went to an attorney who proposed to them um, that they create a trust, uh, put the house in the trust, mm -hmm. and then they rent it from the trust. And now this property is an investment property. And when they move out, um, there can be a 1031. Right. That was, in a nutshell, what was proposed by the attorney. Now, um, I think that's a, a very, very bad idea for a lot of reasons. Um, but let's just assume that the 1031 exchange there could work, right? Obviously, there's a lot of questions about whether or not that structure is valid. Um, and and exactly. What? What is this just a sham? Is it a real thing? Is this going to be, what kind of rental is it going to look like? Is it going to be an arm's length? A uh, lot of hidden costs also. Yeah. But let's just assume that it holds water. Uh but so the first thing I remember when I first started talking to these people is that you realize that what you're doing here is giving up your step up in basis, right? Because if you transfer the asset to a trust, mm -hmm. trust never dies, okay. right? 
uh, and there's no step up in basis. And these folks, for the moment, they're living in the house, and they have no plans to move out. They just know that it's it's a possibility. You know, as people age, you go be near your kids, you go you downsize, but they have no plans whatsoever uh, to to move out. Um, so they can technically be in here, you know, until a step up in basis would come, right? And so. If they move this into a trust, what I pointed out to them is, number one, you just gave up your step up in basis, which would be the most valuable exit strategy, right? Totally eliminate that. Um, so I asked them, just put a – what if you think – I want to give them a logical way to think about this. Um, and I can't provide all the inputs, but I can provide the thought process. So I said, what's the likelihood that you think you're going to stay here you know, forever in this house? And they say 50%. Okay, so on the 50% chance, possibility that you're here forever, that side, you're going to get a step up in basis and completely eliminate the income tax, everything, everything. You're going to completely eliminate everything, and it's going to be free and clear to your heirs, free and clear, no restrictions. They're just going to have free and clear um, millions of dollars. Um, on the other side, right, now another thing that they're giving up is the 121 exclusion, right? And that's if you sell your personal residence, uh, these people are married, mm -hmm. finally joint, they can $500,000 escapes income taxation. That's a $500,000 freebie. Now let's, let's look on the other side, the 50% chance that you don't live here forever. And at some point you move out. Okay, if you do nothing, you do get the 121, 121 exclusion, $500,000 freebie. Uh, if you do this trusting, then you may get a 1031 exchange, right? Now, assuming there's no tax risk associated with it, what's the likelihood that the 1031 exchange will be successful, right? Many 1031 exchanges fail, um, and right, these people are not looking to get into a triple net lease property, which is a great way to get a 1031, right? Triple net lease, um, and this obviously, this is your specialty, right. um, is is a great tool for people that are really real estate investors, right. and they need a place to put the money that's safe, secure, is going to give them some return while they're between assets um, or long-term, right? You can give them a coupon. Um, that's great. But these people are really saying, hey, we need this money. If we sell, we need a take some of this money to buy a new place. Um, the, the possibility of having a failed 1031 is pretty high. Sounds like very, right. I mean, this is definitely, best case, this is in a gray area. And frankly, it's it's not really even in a gray area in reality. Yeah. And, the, and then you're being saddled with all these restrictions, right? You have to, the trust has to be the owner of the new property. The trust is the investor. You just trapped yourself forever. 1031 always had this exit strategy right? Okay. Your hands are tied, but it's swap till you drop yeah. and then home free. If you move it into a trust, you are now stuck in this cycle in perpetuity. Can't really um, pull it out of the trust effectively down the road. And, and then at some point you're going to, but your the step up is going to be gone, right? There's no step up. So you, your hands of, you know, in perpetuity, you're always staring down the barrel of this recognizing this tax gain. Uh, so to put it in perspective for them, I said, if you stay in this property, 50% chance you're going to stay here forever. Right. You get a step up in basis. That's home free. Yep. There's nothing better. 
On the other side, 50% chance you move out, the likelihood of having a successful 1031, 50% at best, right? And so you do overall, so if you do the math, you're looking at like the, the possibility of having any benefit from executing the strategy ends up being about 5%. Yeah. Right. Not to mention, you could be facing an audit, all sorts oh, of yeah. tax penalties, and you know probably some older folks that you know, to go deal with that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. I mean, I, I know yeah. that's not the way I run my life. I want to avoid the IRS. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. And this was a discussion that I had with them before Biden presidency. Yeah. Um, and then I just spoke to them again today. But I do think this is a great juncture though to emphasize because i talk a lot about how people who they work with in the financial space um and always make sure they get the complete information and and understand some of the pitfalls so when somebody presents me with something like this um i almost think it's it's foolish and they almost did it they like came to me like bernard you know the attorney suggested that said we recommended this um and we just want to do somebody, you know, we're about to pull the trigger on it. We just want you to kind of give it the once over. And they were thinking like, give it the once over from a tax risk perspective. Right. And we haven't even spoken about that component of it, the yeah. tax risk. But it's almost foolish. Even if there was no tax risk associated with it, uh, you're throwing away a step up in basis to chase uh small possibility of getting a 1031 um, and throwing away a 121 exclusion, it really made no sense. Uh, and so it's in, you know, essentially this fellow that recommended this, he's selling paperwork, right? right? He's not giving advice. He has a trust document. He's going to put their names on it. You know, he's going to charge them $10,000 and, and move on. Yeah. What these people really needed is somebody that's going to say, you know, this is your scenario. Maybe you shouldn't, maybe just do nothing. Like right. we started this conversation, maybe do nothing. Oftentimes doing nothing. I agree. It's the best thing. Particularly uh, right now, we're in a bit of an unknown period as it relates to, I mean, obviously you're talking and I'm sure this was part of your discussion with them. Yeah, obviously you're, you're, you're some the attributes of it, uh, the step up in basis, but I guess we don't know now is under a Biden presidency, you know, I mean, is that you think there's a, a real risk of that going away potentially? It's still, does, I think it doesn't mean they should go do the trust route. I think that, that sounds like awful advice, frankly. So I don't think it makes that more viable. It probably still makes it do nothing in reality. Uh, but I mean, what do you think as far as step up in basis? I know that's one of the things we're, we're hearing a lot about right now. Well, I think um, the 1031 is more at risk than step up in basis. Yeah, okay. Um, 1031 has been... You know, this is something that you are very, very close to. I mean, this is, you know, you're Mr. 1031. It's a big part uh, of our business. It, yeah. it absolutely is. Yeah. And I think 1031 has been on the chopping block, you know, for a while gone. You know, it's, it's something that has come up even under Republican administrations. Right. So I do think 1031 is at higher risk uh, than step up in basis for multiple reasons. I guess step up in uh, basis affects pretty much everybody, whereas 1031 is a very small portion of the population. And maybe that's yeah. what I thought. 1031, step up in basis affects everybody. Um, it's also administratively very challenging um, to, to try to take it away. One of the reasons 
you know, what are you going to do? Somebody inherits a property. Um, now, how are we going to police this, um, this no step up, right? So Jack inherits a property from Jill. Um, firstly, Jack has to know how much Jill bought it for. Right. He may not know, right? right? Jill may have bought this property or Jill may have inherited it. Who knows? This could be in the family for generations, but Jill may have bought it 50 years ago. Who's to know what the actual basis is? Right. Um, it's a very hard number to chase. So if there's no step up and you want to, and now Jack may hold on to this property for another 50 years and give it to his kids. And now all of a sudden you want the great, great, great grandchildren who's actually sell it to figure out um, you know, what they pay for this when they got off the Mayflower. Right. Uh, <laughs> Not to mention, do you adjust that for inflation or is it, you know, you bought it for 500,000 20 years ago. Now it's worth 3 million. Is it two and a half million dollar gain? Or is it, again, do you adjust that or it, you're right. There are a lot of complexities to that. So it's almost impossible to police, police that and administratively. So what's the option that there that's been considered tossed out um, to simplify this, but it's not much of a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, is that when Jill passes, there is a deemed sale. So the value of the asset, say, is a million dollars. There is a deemed sale at that point, and the estate has to pay the tax as, as if the asset had been sold. Right. Um, now, what would be gained by that is that we can't write – you can't – kick the can down the road uh, forever. Um, so we can't, we won't have a scenario where the great grandkids have to figure out, uh, you know, what great grandma paid for it because right. the sale, there was a sale and a tax when great grandma passed away. And so everybody only has to look back to their, um, you know, their, the one that they're, they received from their inheritor. Right. right. Uh, but, Think about that. If someone inherits a million-dollar property, and now you want to tax them as if he sold it, well, let's say capital gains rates go up, or let's see what they are, 20%, 40%, whatever they're going to be. Uh, he has to come up now with $200,000, $200,000. Well, what if he doesn't have that? Think if you just inherited the house, let's say, and you don't want to sell the house. Right. You then find okay. the funds to do that. Agreed. It, exactly. So – I just see this as an administratively unfeasible, mm-hmm. uh, but 1031 taking that away is going to be feasible. As you said, it doesn't affect everybody. And a lot of, or maybe we, we get a lot of the 1031s where they're done today. There's also, just to be frank, we may not have the justification for it. And I'm curious to know your, your thoughts on that. What would you say? I, I'm obviously I'm hoping it stays as it is. It's been a big part of our the real estate business, the real estate sector. And I think it has a tremendous impact in the overall economy. So when I look at it that way, putting aside, is it justified? Is it something it should have, you know, should it have ever been done? That's a different question. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's too late to have that discussion. I look at it more, what's the impact if you do away with it today? And is that positive or negative for the overall economy? And my inclination is that I don't believe it's positive for the economy. It's certainly detrimental to the, to frankly, the small portion of the population that is involved in invest, investment real estate. But obviously, you know, it impacts also you know, your business, the accounting business, the, the legal field, the title companies, frankly, the, the governmental entities with doc stamps and transfer taxes, surveyors. I think there's a lot of 
really negative implication to a lot of different sectors if you do do away with it. Um, so I guess we're you know, we're going to see how that what happens here. I mean, I, 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 I actually don't think it will. And I don't think it's going to happen soon. I mean, I was going to kind of curious to hear your thoughts. What's the timing of all of this? I get that a lot where people are you know, trying to make tax money. You know, I've got a lot of clients that are rushing, trying to close deals by year end 2020 out of fear that tax rates, whether it's capital gains or 1031 exchanges, capital gains rate may go up, capital 1031 exchanges may go away. So they're trying to get deals done this calendar year. And I've got, I, I just, I don't think we're going to see, I definitely don't think we're going to see a major tax overhaul in 2021. I don't know what the timing is going to be. I'm curious kind of what your, your thought process is. And again, you know, kind of as it relates to what you're advising your clients, I, I think it's going to take a little time. So there, it's nobody's got a crystal ball. And so it always comes down to really the fundamentals. If somebody's rushing into a deal that's just not attractive, don't do it. Agreed. Uh, but if you know if you've got a deal that maybe you would do, but you want a better deal, then maybe do it, right? right. Because the, the truth is, you never know. If, even without the specter of a Biden presidency and tax overhaul, you never know if that better deal is coming around. Right. Um, so it's you never want to let the tax tail wag the dog. I'm a huge uh, believer of that I've seen clients do 1031 exchanges, frankly that they would have been far wiser just to pay the taxes. Because uh, again, like you said, I mean, don't, don't do a deal just because to save the taxes. There's the, it's not the worst thing in the world to write a tax bill. It means you made money. So, yeah, I, mean, I, get the, I get the idea of being tax, you know, tax you know, safety and you know, watching everything you pay, but it's not always the worst thing in the world. Yeah, it's always about taking the holistic picture. Interestingly enough, you know, I, I happen to think there may be a, a, an inc possibly a positive outcome here, really, uh, an incredible outcome. And right. I think it's an outcome that you would love. Right. Um, and it, it would just hinge on our policymakers being able to have a more nuanced approach. And right. let me outline what this would be. So you got uh, me curious. <laughs> um, what this would be. And if we wrote policy, I think this is really reasonable. Um, and it would actually be, I think, a boon for your industry. Um, I like going back to the fundamentals and, and the concepts. Right. Um, and 1031, there's, you know, there's the kind of the fiscal policy side that you were talking about, the impact on the economy. And that's what Congress does. Congress right. uses tax to mm -hmm. drive, incentivize. That's what it's a big part of. I would love a flat tax, um, but... Again, Congress deliberately, we end up with this convoluted tax system because Congress can never stop itself from trying to use taxes to pull the levers of the economy. Right. Uh, so that's a big, certainly a big component of tax policy and taking away 1031 exchange would have a detrimental impact. Uh, but from the more conceptual philosophical standpoint, 1031 also has um, great merit it's just the way 1031s are done today um, have drifted very far from those principles, okay. right? So it's one of those two principles that are underlying 1031 exchange. Uh, number one is continuity of investment in the sense that the person never really exited. They never really exited the deal. Um, it's just one long investment and there's no reason to have a tax. This is just one big investment. Uh, the second thing is uh, what we spoke about earlier, 
you know, by, by the Dean sale step up liquidity mm -hmm. challenge, right? If somebody goes from one investment to another, right? So, and we want to tax them, but they don't have the cash, right? right? If they went from building A to building B, unless the IRS starts accepting fractional shares of buildings to pay taxes, it's an they interesting idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't have right. the cash. Yeah. Right. The, the deal now, they may or may not have the cash, but in general, the subject is right. This deal did not generate that cash. Mm -hmm. So we can't subject them to, from an administrative perspective, um, and it's not really justifiable to subject them to the tax. Right. The idea of the tax is not to force somebody to liquidate the assets. Um, those are the two underlying principles, 1031. Yeah. And those can still hold true. Um, the challenge has really come because today most exchanges are deferred exchanges, mm -hmm. right? So people are having 180 days, right? So now all of a sudden, is there really continuity of investment? One point they, and is there a liquidity challenge, right? There was cash created here, right? The, right. the QI is holding cash proceeds. There's cash here. Right. Um, and so they sold it for cash. And mm -hmm. now they took that cash and bought another asset. So really, can we say there's continuity of investment? Really skeptical, right? If we want to be honest about that, there was they went from building to cash and now from cash to building. You're saying so, I mean, it's like kind, you're staying in real estate, you can't go sell it and, and buy a house to live in or buy art. Um, right. Correct, it, I agreed. It is, it's like kind, but within the- It's, it's like kind from a tax perspective currently. Correct, right. But right, there's, right. we can't say there's continuity, they got cash. You right. might even be going from an apartment building to a drugstore. Right. And, and so it's hard to police that. So I'd rather focus on the cash. I'm with you on that because they may have, but certainly going into cash. There was cash created from this sale. Yeah. And so the two principles that underlie, underpin 1031 are gone, right? We got cash. This continuity of investment, they converted this to cash, right? And did we say that, and did we say that there's no liquidity? What do we mean? They, they didn't go from building to building. Right, they went from building to cash, cash to building, and just 1031 exchange is treating it. So now we've kind of stretched, we've stretched the limits of 1031 to a place where it's nonsensical. That has really happened. Yeah. Now, what would be reasonable um, and may help raise revenues and at the same time preserve 1031 is say, okay. From now on, 1031 exchange, you can no longer do these kind of deferred exchanges, right? So curb the amount of going some sort of limitation. Maybe you have to go building to building right. or, or some sort of limitation on that. Um, now, will that, that would actually be, I think, a boon for triple net lease, right? right? Because 1031 is preserved. Um, but now people are saying, okay, we, there's no 180 days to play around. Uh, we don't have that wiggle room. And now, okay, we want to exit. We have an opportunity. Triple nut lease. So it's literally, in this scenario, your thought is it's literally building to building simultaneous closes. Something like that. Interesting. Or akin to that. Uh, right. So 1031 gets preserved. Will it raise more revenue? Probably, because I do think that although the appeal of triple net lease will go up. There's still certainly still going to be people that are going to say, all right, you know, we'll just go to cash. Right. Um, and we've also, the integrity of 1031 is there. Now, I think now, as much as we want it to stay, 
it's not so easy to defend it, but something like this is eminently defensible, right. justifiable. There's continuity of investment. There is the lack of liquidity. And obviously, we've got the economic impact, keeping the money invested um, in the economy. Uh, so I think that that might be a more nuanced and conceptually you know, sound approach. What are your thoughts? It's interesting. No, I, I like the, it's an interesting idea. I mean, I guess one, one last question for you. I mean, we could talk for hours, literally. I mean, there's a ton out there to, to ponder as it relates to this. How would you tie to, I think it's part of that as it relates to Litecoin or relates to 10th exchanges. If you had, you know, if you, if you wrote the, the code yourself, what would you do with the tax rates as it relates to capital gains, short-term, long-term? So I think if, if, if the tax rates go up, Yes, obviously more inclination to want to do a 10th exchange if it's allowed still, whereas if the tax rates were to stay level where they are today, but 1031 exchanges get more complex, there's less, you know, there's more, uh, there's less freedom in reality, then I think you know, you'd have more people say, you know what, let me just pay my 20%, pay the taxes and, and move on. Uh, but it's, if you, it's kind of a double dose. If, if you end up with both of those, I think you'd be a more challenge. I mean, what do you think to that? What would you do? Yeah, if as a if I made tax policy, uh, or as an investor, from a tax policy perspective, the capital gains rates again is there to incentivize people to keep money invested, right? right? Uh, and the economy needs that. It needs that. It just needs that liquidity. Yeah. It needs the the capital. It needs right. If you kind of go back to your economics one hundred and one, right? We need ultimately we are all the ones that provide the liquidity for the economy, right? There are all these intermediaries, but ultimately. It's me, you, anybody else that's listening. Swapping capital and yeah. It's it's all of us by having money invested in real estate and stocks, having money in savings accounts. Yeah. Having money out there rather than that's what keeps this thing so well oiled. Um, and keeping tax rates on investment lower, right? And so that's your dividends, your yeah. capital gains is what makes it so attractive for us to keep money in the economy. Right. Uh, now, you know, what the impact of all these things, it's so many moving parts. I know they purport to put together these reports that say, okay, this is going to be, you know, the revenues are going to go up by this much. The tax right. base is going to go up. This is going to go up and this down, and this is going to be the net effect. I doubt there's an algorithm that can possibly and honestly account for all that. Right. Um, I, I just, I just doubt, doubt it. I understand as policymakers, they have to have something to work with rather than just, you know, working blindly. Right. Uh, but I don't think anybody can predict how this is really going to play out. And I guess it's, I mean, and frankly, politically, it's still, it's too soon to tell. It's too soon to call. I mean, we've got uh, the, the, the senatorial election, you know, just kind of wrapping up still. So I think we got to wait and Maybe it's wait until early January, see how this all shakes out with the presidential election. I think that's kind of presumptive, uh, the senatorial certainly. And then you see what you know, Biden, assuming he is the next president, what does he start to, to talk about? I mean, I've heard him, you know, he has come out and you know, he's kind of outwardly, I think, said the corporate tax rate. He's looking to change that day one. I think I saw that's, that's going to be one of his first moves as president. Uh, so that'd be something to, to ponder. And then you see, what does he start talking about capital gains, 1031 exchanges and all of this? And you see what the timeline looks like. And somewhat it may depend on, you know, what's the makeup of the, the three parties, the three branches of government and how much can he get through in the, in the next couple of years? 
Yeah, it definitely hinges on that. Obviously, if there's a Democrat-controlled uh, Congress, you know, both the House and the Senate, right. um, they can do whatever they like. Yeah. Um, if there's the Senate is close, um, they can probably make some modest changes to the tax code. Uh, with ten, and I think under that, 1031 will stay at risk. Right. Uh, but the other more ambitious things that they want to do, uh, you know, are going to be out of reach. Yeah. Now it's going to be an interesting time. We've got an interesting couple of months ahead. And let's certainly, I love following you on LinkedIn. Uh, you give a ton of insights out there. Uh, so people, I mean, certainly if you want to share good ways for people to contact you and certainly my favorite follow in the tax, you know, arenas or late you know, on LinkedIn. So, I mean, you share a world of knowledge and we've got a really interesting couple of months ahead. So I know you're going to have a ton to add there. So how, how can folks best reach you? Yeah, I have sometimes the, the, you can definitely reach me, um, Bernard at reeserfinancial.com. Uh, but if you even just Google my name, sometimes that's easier. That's Bernard Reese, R-E-I-S-Z. Uh, you know, I've done interviews like this. Um, I've done, they've put lots, lots of content out there and you'll probably find lots of good stuff. So that's Bernard at reeserfinancial.com. And Barry, I got to say, it's a an honor to be your guest. Uh, <laughs> Likewise. Uh, as, I, as I've shared in the past, I get people telling me, wow, you were with Barry, co-presented and together with Barry. Barry is a real estate legend. Uh, yes, thanks. So. Thanks so much. And I feel the same way. And you know, it's been fun you know, doing some things together. And one of these days, hopefully we'll be able to break some bread together actually in person uh, you know, sometime in the coming year. Yeah, absolutely. We got to get this COVID stuff behind us um, so we can get some in-person meetings. Agreed. Well, stay safe and well, you and your family, all the best. Barry, thank you. Thanks, Bernard. Thank you so much.